Thank you for downloading this message from Roots Community Church. We pray that you are encouraged by the word. If you are looking for more information, please visit us at rccphoenix.com. Well, we're going to this week continue on in our fortune cookie series. Now, the fortune cookie series, if you missed any of the other weeks, when you can go back online on Facebook or YouTube and catch them. And um, basically what we're talking about is scriptures that people use like fortune cookies, like fortune cookies, you know, have like little general, little random sayings that you apply different places in your life. You know, like somebody special is thinking about you and you're like, oh man, you know, that person that I only like their picture on Instagram, but never physically talked to, it might be, have figured it out somehow that I like them or whatever, you know, and like they're thinking about me <clears throat> and uh, all the college kids are like, yeah, laughing at me. Um, but, um, or, or, but things like that, and people do that to scripture, right? They take little bits of scripture and they don't read the whole thing and they try to apply it in a place that it doesn't really work. And so what we're doing throughout the series is, is taking these scriptures that are these little chunks and we're going back over them and trying to decide and, and not really decide, but try to figure out what the scripture is telling us in general about them. <clears throat> so this week we're going to do with, we're going to deal with two more of them, but the two that we're going to deal with are two scriptures that are what we're going to call fortune cookie. They're taken out of context that prop up a belief that is incorrect. So we're going to deal with each one of these pillars of these incorrect scriptures. And this belief system is going to probably crumble in front of us um, as we look at what the scripture tells us. So if you've been in church any length of time, you're going to recognize some of these, some of these things and this belief system. And um, some of us, I know I did, I had some of this in me not realizing where it came from. And so I had to do my own little bit of cleansing this week when I was driving home from my study, you know, had to sit there in a the trunk and be like, oh, Lord, please forgive me <laughs> you know, for <clears throat> for going down and misunderstanding and, and presenting some of this stuff. So what we're going to uh, what we're going to deal with this week, number one in your notes is the declare and decree false theology, the declare and the decree false theology. Now, um, this theology basically believes that you can just say things out of your mouth and they're going to happen because your words make it happen. In the South, everything has to rhyme, right? So we used to call this back in the day the um, name it and claim it, you know, blab it and grab it, spit it and get it. I might have made up that last one, but you understand what I'm talking about, right? Like the, <clears throat> it's kind of just taking on a new, a new idea and a new name in today's culture, but it's very similar. It's the declare and decree theology. And so one of the, one of the, the scriptures that they fortune cookie um, with this belief system is letter A in your notes, life and death are in the power of the tongue. <clears throat> life and death are in the power of the tongue. Now, um, where they get this from is Proverbs 18, verse 21, and the New King James Version says this, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. <clears throat> now, I was trying to find a way, like a chart or like a whiteboard or to draw something, you know, put bullet points or something in your notes to try to explain what the declare and the decree false theology um, presents. 
And as I was struggling with that and trying to figure out a right way to present it so it was clear and concise and simple, I ran across a Christian author who believes this, uh, believes this, uh, this kind of, this theology, this false belief, and I, 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 I'm not trying to call out the, the, the author, so I didn't list them in your notes, because um, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to come out to the person, I'm trying to come out to the belief, right? <clears throat> so this, I, but I put this in your notes, uh, and, I, and I called it this, the declare and decree false theology statement by a Christian author, because they do a better job than I could explaining any of this, okay, in a very sh- short few sentences. So I'm going to read this out loud. You can follow along in your notes. I'm going to read this out loud for us, okay? <clears throat> God spoke, declared all things into existence. And since we are created in his image, he has given us the authority and the power to declare over our own lives. Pause. That's wrong. It's a whole nother message that I'll preach in the future, but being made in his image does not mean you have his power. That means that you have been made in his likeness to carry out his purpose on the earth. Okay, but that's another thing for another day. But anyway, let's keep going. You might be declaring over your life without even knowing it. Have you ever said, I hate my life, or my life sucks, or I'm so fat and ugly? These are negative declarations that will bring negative results into your life. I know I've been there. I've learned that what I say or what I think brings what I'm focusing on into my life. So now I declare only positive words over my life, and I'm beginning to see the changes. <clears throat> so let's get the picture here. What, what this author is describing is they say out positive things, and positive things are created in their life. They say out negative things like, my life is terrible, I'm fat, or whatever, you know. And then it, somehow the negative thing comes back in their life. They push out the good they get back good, they push out the bad, they get back bad, they speak out, they declare the good or the positive, they get back positive, and so on. Make sense? Now, this has no root in scripture, none, Um, and so, so what I did was I found the root of where this comes from, and it's not the Bible. So with that in mind, I want you to take that, what we just kind of read over right there, put it right here on this, on this side. And then I want to read to you a statement from the secular and new age philosophy called the law of attraction. This is a pagan idea, a secular idea. This is not a scriptural thing at all, but I want, and and there are hundreds of millions of dollars that are spent um, to, to promote this idea to promote this life philosophy. And I want to read you directly from what, one of these major law of attraction organizations says, and I want you to hear the similarities between what we just read and what we're about to read, okay? <clears throat> so this is what the, the, the statement from the law of attraction organization says. Designing and recruiting, or I'm sorry, designing and reciting affirmations is a powerful way to use words in service of positivity. Affirmations are just statements or declarations that you say to yourself in order to support your goals. You can use ones that directly discuss positivity 
like the following. I become more positive each day. I am happy, confident, and see the best in others. I am positive, and I attract positivity into my life. You can also use affirmations that implicitly reinforce your power of positive thinking towards specific goals in your life. For example, I have all the qualities I need to be incredibly successful. Every day I move closer to the job of my dreams. I attract love into my life and give it back to the world. There are dozens of ways for writing affirmations. Now catch this. What matters is that they make you feel good and that they capture what you want to achieve. <clears throat> so this law of attraction is I'm speaking out or declaring positivity into the world and it comes back to me. And I don't want to declare or speak out those negative things into the ether or the universe or whatever else because the ether or the universe sends it back to me. Do you see how these things are almost mirror images of each other? What I speak out comes back to me. We saw, we, we saw that in a description of the, of the de declare and decree belief system from the Christian author on this side. And we also saw the same principle here from the law of attraction. Why in the world do those things seem to be the same? Because the law of attraction is the root of the declare and decree idea. Next on your notes, the declare and decree theology is nothing more than the secular law of attraction dressed in church clothes. <clears throat> they took the law of attraction and said, oh, well, there's life and death and the power of the tongue, right? So that's really our principle. They're just saying it in a different way. So they scrubbed it up, put a couple little church words in there and said, that's what the truth is. And we're going to present that to people. This comes across in church by a few sayings. This is where I kind of, I got a little tight on myself because I was like, Ooh! maybe one of these came out of my mouth. I just want to speak life over to the situation right now. I want to speak life over it. I want to speak life into it. I, I declare that doors will, of opportunity will open for me. Sometimes in church with people who believe this, they say stuff like, I declare finances will be released to me. It's a very popular minister out there ends his service with something like that. I have the authority to decree miracles. There's a very popular worship song that's out right now. And the bridge of the song, the lyrics of it literally say, when I open up my mouth, miracles start breaking out. I have the authority. Jesus has given it to me. And I was like, so when I'm hearing some of that, I go, Ooh, yikes, yikes, yikes. Because the rest of that song, I kind of like. You know what I mean? But this part, I go, ooh, uh -uh. can't go there. Why? Because it's part of the declare and, de and decree theology. Um, I, I forgot my adapter to plug it in here today, but I don't know if you guys have ever seen. I'm going to digress and just to uh, something here for a second. Um, I watched a show called The Office. Anybody ever heard of The Office, the show? And um, one, the main character in The Office, Michael Scott, he gets into financial trouble, right? And he's in the back break room talking to Creed, the crazy one. 
And Creed's like, man, heard you got in financial trouble. He's like, yeah. And he goes, you know what? You should just declare bankruptcy. It's like getting a fresh restart. It just everything starts over. They cancel your debts and get to start over from zero. And he goes, really? He goes, yeah, it's like magic. And so Michael walks out of the break room into the office and stands at the top of his lungs and screams, I declare bankruptcy, you know, and he walks off to his office and then the accountant guy comes through and goes, hey man, just because you said those words out loud doesn't mean that happened. And he goes, I didn't say it. I declared it, right? You, 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 it's, it's a hilarious comedy sketch in the television show, but we might as well be doing that with the declare and decree theology. Just because you say it out of your mouth doesn't mean that it's going to happen. That does not reside to us. It's basically the same thing. So, well, the scripture says, um, life and death are in the power of the tongue. And I have a tongue. And I use it to speak. So what do you mean I don't speak life? I don't speak death. I can't just speak life into a situation. Well, let's do what we've been talking about before and not just read the one verse. So instead of just verse 21, let's back up four verses to verse 17. And let's see what Solomon is talking to us about here. Okay. <clears throat> verse 17, the first to speak in court sounds right. Until the cross-examination begins. Flipping a coin can end arguments. It settles disputes between powerful opponents. An offended friend is harder to win back than a fortified city. Arguments separate friends like a gate locked with bars. Wise words satisfy like a good meal. The right words bring satisfaction. The tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap its consequences. Now, when you read all of that together, that really doesn't say that you as a Gentile believer in Christ have the ability to speak out something, speak life, to create something by, I declare or decree it. It's painting an entirely different picture. What picture is it painting? Well, verse 17 clearly describes people who are in an argument. So <clears throat> let's say that, um, uh, I don't know, let's say um, Brian and Christian, they're not here, so I'll pick on them, right? <laughs> so Brian and Christian are brothers. And um, so let's say that Christian walks in one day and he's completely bullheaded. And while he was sleeping, he tells us the story, Brian went and shaved his head. And we're like, First of all, it's kind of funny. But second of all, it's wrong, man. That's wrong. They shouldn't have been doing that to you. What did you do? I didn't do anything, man. We were talking last night, and we were just talking about some stuff. And I woke up this morning, and my head was completely bald. He shaved my head. He did. I didn't do anything. And so we all listened to Christian's story, and Christian, you know, puts out the, the story. And we're like, man, that's pretty jacked up that Brian would do that, right? That is crazy. And he's like, and then Brian walks in. Dude. Why did you do that to your brother? Do what? Why did you shave his head? Oh, did he tell you what he did to me? No. He put glue in all my underarm deodorant. 
And so when I was wiping it on, it stuck, and I had to rip all my hairs out of my underarm. This didn't really happen. It's a hypothetical thing. Um, They've never had an argument, I'm sure. Being brothers, living in the same house forever, you know what I mean? But they've never had an argument. Anyway, so what, what, what he's trying to get at here, I'm using kind of a funny example to say, one side of the story sounds right until the other side comes in. And he's painting this picture of these two people being at odds and arguing with each other, having a conflicting dialogue of of having a different side of the story. Verse 18, flipping a coin can end arguments. It settles disputes between powerful opponents. Well, in our funny scenario here, well, is it wrong that Brian, you know, shaved his head? Yeah. But was it wrong what Christian did to him? Yeah. Well, who's right here? Well, kind of none of them. Well, okay, just don't do it anymore, guys, and we'll move on. You know what I mean? You just got to make a decision, sometimes flip a coin, sometimes just, just forget it. We're going to keep walking on. But what, is it, what are they deciding? There's two people arguing. You see the picture? The pattern is developing here. Look at the next one. Offended friend is harder to win back than a fortified city. Arguments separate friends like a gate locked with bars. Again, he's taken three verses to point, uh, paint this picture of these people who are saying words, to each other, they're arguing, they're being offended, they're, you know, throwing insults at each other. And so he's painted this picture, and now look at the next verse. Wise words satisfy like a good meal, the right words bring satisfaction. How are you how can you solve these? How can you be a part of the, the solving of an issue like this? If you're at odds with somebody, your friend, your brother, your sister, your mom, your family member, your relative, or your coworker, or whatever, how can you do that? You can speak different words, wise words, the right words, and it can bring satisfaction to the situation. So if somebody says, your legs are so skinny, it looks like your body's walking on two cigarettes, you know, you don't have to say back to them, well, your mama looks like she's walking on two cigarettes. You know what I mean? You don't have to sling that back and forth. If you did that, you know, I'm, I'm around enough Polynesians to know that the, the slippers are coming off and they're getting flung across the room at somebody or, you know what I mean? So there's some kind of argument. What can happen in this scenario, what Solomon is saying is, hey, if you say the right thing, you can diffuse this whole argument and save the relationship. Well, if I say the right thing, I can do that? Yes. Why? Because the tongue can bring death or life. It can destroy the relationship. It can build up the relationship. It can tear down the person that you're talking to. It could build up the person you're talking to. It can call it, you can put salt in the wound through those words, or you can make the wound worse by your words. You have the power here in your mouth to say the right thing. But if you're somebody who likes to run off at the mouth, you might want to consider this last part. Those who love to talk will reap its consequences. If you're somebody who likes to run off at the mouth a lot, you're probably in a lot of verbal opposition or arguments with people. Anybody ever known somebody like that? Do not point at them if they're in this room. Okay? So now, after reading that, it's very clear that that scripture is not telling us that we have the power to speak life into a situation. That is reinterpreting 
the scripture in a way that it's not presented. Why would somebody do that? Why would somebody say, I just want to speak life. I want to pray life over you right now. Why would they do that? Because they, they probably have a, the heart for you. You might be in a, in a hard situation dealing with pain or loss or something like that. And they don't know what to say. They don't know how to just comfort. And so they say, man, I just, I just want to speak life over the situation right now and declare that all of this good stuff is going to happen to you going forward. And, you know, your ladder will be greater than your former and all this kind of stuff. You know, you pick out all these little fragments of scripture and try to, you know, pour it on as a, like an ointment to something because they don't know what to say. And basically what they're trying to do is inject a healthy dose of godly positivity into someone's situation because they don't know what to say. But that is not what we're directed to do in scripture. This causes problems and conflict for people that is unnecessary. Why? Because we just read life and death and the power of the tongue has nothing to do with us being able to speak out, speak life over something, decree something, or declare it to be so, and then God's on the hook to do it. That's one of the pillars, and that pillar falls when we understand what the scripture is. So the other pillar, the other fortune cookie scripture, letter B in your notes, this is one that, that is used, is calling things that are not as though they were. Calling things that are not as though they were. This comes out of Romans 4.17 out of New King James. says almost identical, the same thing calls those things which do not exist as though they did. <clears throat> now, the last the last verse, it's not right that the that you that you fortune cookie it. But it's got a little comma or semicolon there. It looks like it's a kind of a standalone statement, you know. But this and so I could kind of understand if you just took that little bit with a misunderstanding, you know, I, I guess I could get it, but this one's just egregious to me. Because there's no comma. It is literally just half of a sentence, the end of a sentence. So what we're going to do is we're going to read the whole sentence, which is the whole verse. But we're going to back up and read the verse before it, okay? Romans 4, 16 through 17. This is Paul talking to the church in Rome about the gift of salvation. So the promise is received by faith, the promise being salvation. It is given as a free gift. And we are all certain to receive it, whether or not we live according to the law of Moses, if we have faith like Abraham's. For Abraham is the father of all who believe. That is what the scriptures mean when God told him, I have made you the father of many nations. This happened because Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. He believed in the God who calls things that are not as though they were. He didn't have the, 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 the power to do that. He didn't have the, the ability because he was an heir of, you know, uh, he was made in the image of God to speak things out and no. If he did, why didn't he do it right there? He believed in the God who could do that. This scripture, next time in your notes, 
has nothing to do with us creating life or opportunities with our words. It has everything to do with having a faith in the God who can do those things. So, life and death and the power of the tongue is what we say to each other relationally and calling things that are not as though they were has nothing to do with us. It's believing in a God who does that. When we look at these two passages for what they really say, the idea that we can declare, decree, speak life over a situation and all that falls apart. What does, um, oh, so let's look at um, what does scripture say that we should do with our words? Because our words do have power. They do have an impact. So what does scripture say that we should do with our words? Well, next line of your notes, the first bullet point there is our words must be honest. <clears throat> our, words, our words must be honest. Proverbs 12, 17 through 19. An honest witness tells the truth. A false witness tells lies. Some people make cutting remarks, but the words of the wise bring healing. Truthful words stand the test of time, but lies are soon exposed. Again, you may be tempted to see the last half of that middle sentence there and say, well, the words of the wise bring healing. My words bring healing. Well, look at the first part. Some people cut with their words. You have the ability after it's been cut to come through and tell the truth. Bring healing, compassion to the scenario. You understand it's not that there's a guy with one leg and I speak life that his other leg's gonna grow back right now. I'm not saying that God can't do that. God can do whatever he wants, but it's not because we declared or decreed it. We can't speak to that thing and make it happen. That's not what this is saying. <clears throat> Proverbs 12, 22, the Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in those who tell the truth. It's important that our words are honest. Next line in, in your notes, next bullet point, the, our words expose our heart. This is Jesus talking in Luke 6, 43 through 45. A good tree can't produce bad fruit. And a bad tree can't produce good fruit. A tree is defined or is identified by its fruit. Figs are never gathered from thorn bushes and grapes are never picked from bramble bushes. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. Our words expose our heart. Something else scripture tells us about our words. We must control them. We must control our words. Next line in your notes. Proverbs 13, 3. Those who control their tongue will have long life, but opening your mouth can ruin everything. <laughs> Thank you, Solomon, for hitting us right between the eyes on that one. Ephesians 4, 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. Let me give you one more biblical reason that the declare and decree theology 
doesn't work. Second Corinthians 12, six through 10. This is Paul talking to the church in Corinth. If I wanted to boast, I would be no fool in doing so because I would be telling the truth, but I won't do it because I don't want anyone to give me credit beyond what they can see in my life or hear in my message. Even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God. So to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Many theologians, next on your notes, believe the thorn Paul refers to in this passage was was an actual pain in his leg or side that caused him to limp when he walked. They believe it was an actual pain in his leg or side that caused him uh, to limp when he walked. And you might say, well, Matt, what does this have to do with the declare and decree theology? Well, calling things that are not as though they were, like creating stuff with our mouth and declaring it to be true, uh, that scripture that they fortune cookie was Paul's. So why didn't Paul declare his healing right here? Why didn't he decree it? Why didn't he speak life into his leg? Why didn't he open up his mouth and have miracles start pouring out? Why did he not do that? Next on your notes. Why didn't Paul declare his healing? Why didn't he decree a miracle? Did he not understand his own writing? No, he, it's because it doesn't work. It doesn't work. <clears throat> Next on your notes is very important. <clears throat> Nearly all fortune cookied scriptures point to the elevation of man. Look what Paul said in that passage we just read. I won't take credit because I don't want anyone, or I, don't, I won't boast because I don't want anyone to give me credit. What happens when we think we've got the inside track to get God to do what we want here in this life? What does it do? It shines the light where? On us. And the Bible, next line in your notes, is not about elevating man. It's about pointing everyone in a dying world back to God. We have to understand what the scripture really says so that we don't try to build us up, make us famous, make us popular, make us the thing, make us seem like we're the one that has the secret sauce, the recipe, the inside trek, the back door to where we can jump past all of these hoops and go right into where the secret spot where God is that will do everything that we want. All that's nonsense. All of that would celebrate us. A couple years ago, um, there's a, uh, a church that has um, 
pushed this idea out a lot, especially through uh, through music. And a couple of years ago, um, some of the worship leaders that were a part of this had a tragic thing that I can't even wrap my head or heart around. Um, they had this thing where their their five year old daughter passed away from a from a, a disease and. I think it was disease. I don't remember exactly, but it was something that was not expected. <laughs> she passed away. Uh, she was five, and um, her name was Olive. And they took to social media because they have a massive following for their music and said, we want everybody to pray that God will raise Olive from the dead. And it was everywhere. Tens of thousands, more than 100,000, I'm sure, people saw this, were participating in speaking life, decreeing the miracle, declaring she would raise from the dead. And this went on for more than a week. People hashtagging was trending everywhere. Wake up Olive. <clears throat> People who didn't know anything about who is this Olive and why is this wake up? Why is she asleep? You know, like they'd had no clue what the point of reference was. We're looking at it and we're, looking at all these people like speaking and declaring and decreeing and all this stuff. And at the end of a week or eight or nine days, nothing. They had to release a statement that, well, God obviously didn't want to do this. He heard our cry. Our faith is strong, but we'll see her again at the resurrection. What did this do? It causes conflict confusion, and it creates a barrier from people to know the truth. <clears throat> Why? You're telling me that a 100,000 people, tens of thousands of people are sharing this, people are praying and speaking and doing all the stuff that you guys do, and the God that you serve, he didn't hear a 100,000 of y'all calling, he wouldn't do what you asked? Maybe it's because what you believe doesn't work <clears throat> and it's not because it doesn't work it's because we figuratively we the church took an idea that's pagan put church clothes on it and sold it to the church as the truth and the church has been conditioned to be consumers so much that they didn't open their bible and read, oh, that's not what that means. They didn't read the scriptures for themselves, which is exactly what I want everybody who ever comes to this church to do. I can't take my word for it. As I was thinking about this and I was getting, as, and I was going through the study for the message, <clears throat> I started asking myself some questions why would we try to adopt the strategy of the world when we are children of the living God? Why would we take the methods that are promoted by people who are living in death and darkness and will end in eternal separation from God? Why would we take their thing and try to bring it over here when the almighty God who created life, sustains life, and promises everlasting life is what we have? 
Why would we take a secular tool and try to clean it up in a way so that, and then try to pass it off as a gospel tool? Why would we try to de- declare our own intentions when the spirit of the living God lives inside of us? Why would we try to declare blessings in a temporary world when we have the message of eternity in our hearts? Why would we try to adopt a pagan practice of speaking human positivity when the eternal word of God has been given to us by the creator of the universe? Why are we doing this? Why are we accepting these ideas when they are presented to us? My encouragement to you and my encouragement to all of us that are in this building watching or will hear this later is to read your Bible and stand on what it says and don't accept anything else that's outside of that uh, of that idea. Don't accept it. Does it mean you're closed-minded? No, it means I found the truth and I'm going to continue drawing water from a pure, clean well. I'm not going to go to the dirty one and try to convince myself that this is just as good for me. It's not. We have to stop taking the tactics and the tools of the world and trying to put, put, slap the God card on it and then present it over here like I found some secret recipe. These things don't work. Well, Matt, I know somebody who said they spoke healing and they got healed. Okay. Do you think based on the scripture that we just read, it was because they spoke life or because they asked the God who created life to step in and God chose to do it at that scenario to accomplish his purpose? I think it's the latter. Based on what? The passages we just read. I don't want us to be people who just are tossed around, like the book of James says, by every whim of new teaching that comes through. No, if it does not line up with the word or if it, exa- or if it glorifies us or a guy or a specific church or a minister or a, a certain ministry or a person, they got the secret sauce. Everybody follows them. That's not, that's not the goal. If this worked because... Uh, I have tried this in my life. I would have zero debt, several homes, more cars, a nicer motorcycle than the one I own, and a whole bunch of things and money to pass out for days. Because I have, I have spoken life into a lot of those things, and we can see where that went. Nowhere. Why? It only works if I take God's word chop it up into little segments and create my own meaning of it. And this is a wildly popular thing to do in church. This is not Matt's rant against the church. We are a church. This is a call to come back to God's word and to his Holy Spirit and to the power and the faith in the God that has all the power instead of declaring, I got it. How many times in the lyrics of that song that I just talked about did we say the word me or I? When I open up my mouth, miracles start pouring out. I have the authority. Jesus gave it to me. Me, 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 I. Worship has nothing to do with us. It has every everything 
to do with us pointing the attention to where it belongs, to the God who does what we can't. So as I was, I was getting ready to write, wrap up my message, I was like, <clears throat> okay, all right. Well, got to stop doing that. Got to repent of that, Lord God, please forgive me, because I have done this. If you are feeling guilty, like, oh, my God, I've said this recently. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like in my own prayer or something like that. Don't take it as this thing. Ain't no whipping. It's a, hey, I got, in a, I, I, I got corrected on this as well. I knew it was wrong probably a couple of years ago. I didn't dig in this deep to figure out how deep everything went down the rabbit hole here. But here's what I did find. 85 times in the New Testament across 10 different um, translations of the Bible, we as believers in Christ are commanded to declare something. <clears throat> we are commanded to declare. So as I started reading these passages and I found all these words of declare, I'm like, oh Lord, this message is about to fall apart. Is it, supposed to, is it going to tell me these 85 scriptures when I read across these 85 scriptures? Is it going to tell me that I'm supposed to be declaring healing and all kinds of You know what? None of them said that. Almost all of them pointed to the same thing. I'm going to give you three examples here. <clears throat> Romans 8.29. This is Paul talking again. And now, Lord, observe their hearts. Take them into account and grant that your bondservants may declare your message of salvation. With great confidence. Ephesians 6, 19 through 20. Pray for me so that when I begin to speak, the right words will come to me. When I boldly make uh, known the secret of the gospel, for whose sake I am an ambassador in chains, desiring to declare the gospel as boldly as I should. 1 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 2. For you yourselves know, brothers and sisters about our coming to you. It is not proven to be purposeless, but although we suffered earlier and were mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the courage and our God to declare to you the gospel of God in spite of much opposition. Last line of your notes, scripture is clear. We are to declare the gospel of salvation to a lost world. That is what we're supposed to be doing. I don't do this a lot, but um, I want to tell you something that I think. I normally come here and present to you what the Word of God says, but I want to tell you something that I'm pretty sure of. <clears throat> Why is this idea of speaking life, declare, decree, and all that kind of stuff a popular thing in the church? I think it's a popular thing in the church widespread, especially in America, especially in America. Because I think the enemy of God wants it to continue. Why? Because we would be using our mouth and the words that we have to first make fools of ourselves because it doesn't work. And second of all, because if we're talking about all the temporary things we want, we're not sharing the eternal message of the gospel. <clears throat> and I guarantee you, 
that if all the enemy had to do was slide you a little bit of money every once in a while that you decreed it, allowed something to happen in your benefit, like a fortune cookie, to keep you focused on that instead of declaring the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, he would gladly do it. I don't think money is his desire at all. I think fighting the God that wants to save everyone from a similar fate that he will, that he will end up with is the goal. <clears throat> if I took a large glass container and filled it with water and wanted to make lemonade here today <clears throat> and we sent somebody over to Fry's across the street and got country time lemonade because it's the best one and uh, put a little bit more sugar in it because I'm from the South and everything needs more sugar um, and then put a couple of squirts more lemon in there kind of give it a little bit more tang, a little more zip, let more, ooh, you know. Um, if we did that and I poured it all in there and I said, man, what am I going to stir this with? And I went out to my shed and came back with a hammer and started to try to fit it in the glass pitcher to try to stir it all up. You would look at me and go, what are you doing? Why are you stirring the lemonade we're all going to drink with a hammer. There's this thing called a spoon. There's a spatula that's in the shape of a spoon. We take a knife or something and, and stir it. Why are you trying to put that hammer in this container and stir it around? And if I looked at you and said, well, what do you mean? I'm trying to stir it. You would look at me and say, you're using the tool in the wrong way. It's not designed to do this. There's something else that's designed to do this. And I have to take my hammer out of the pitcher, clean it off, and then try to go use it correctly, which would be to build something. When we spend our time and our words declaring, decreeing, speaking life over this situation right now, if you think about this after a while, these sentences don't make sense. But you're to speak life, we're going to declare all this stuff over the situation, de decree that death is not going to happen. It's, it's going to happen. Outside of Jesus coming back, we're all going to experience it. Instead of using my words correctly, trying to declare and decree is like taking that hammer and trying to stir the pitcher. There's a good chance I'm going to shatter the pitcher and everything is going to be unusable. We got to take the words out of the wrong place and put them to work, declaring the right thing. And that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> I am convinced by the things that Nina and I dealt with this week that started on the day that this message was kind of put together. <laughs> I am convinced by that opposition we faced the last half of this week that we're on to something with this message. Because if we can get Roots Community Church 
to stop. I'm not saying that you are. Maybe you, some of you understood this long ago, and I'm just catching up to the train. <clears throat> That's fine. But if we can stop using the words for the wrong thing, if we can stop trying to declare and decree and speak life, but come over here and use wise words when dealing with people, and use our declaration to declare the gospel, then the kingdom of God will be built. And it will, it will mean we're not chasing temporary stuff. <clears throat> hey, man, I wish it worked. I wish it did. Can you imagine if everybody got to de declare and decree, and then after two weeks, whatever you just said, just bam, happened? That'd be awesome. Everybody in the world be a Christian. But it wouldn't be because they love Jesus. It'd be because I got what I wanted and my flesh was satisfied. And then you know what would happen? They would keep declaring and decreeing and speaking life over everything that they wanted, and it would become more about us. This doesn't work. And none of these scriptures that are clipped up and used that way work because it's not the truth, number one, and it's all about us. We got to take the spotlight off of us, put it where it belongs, and that's on him. If you're someone who sits here and goes, oh, this is embarrassing because I've done this or I do this or I didn't even read all those passages like you just talked about. I never went back and looked at it. Okay, look, there's no shame for you here. It's just like you put a hammer in the lemonade. It's kind of embarrassing when you realize that I was using the tool wrong, but what does that mean? I know not how to use it right. There's grace for you like there's grace for me because I'm pretty sure that most of you didn't stand on the pulpit and present all some of these things like I did. That was my point. Driving home, repenting, God, please. Do not let anything that I've said out of a popular emotional feel because I felt good at the moment or wanted somebody else to feel good. God, please let all that stuff die and let just people remember you. So I get it. I've had to ask God to forgive me. And guess what? His grace is all we need. So if that's you, I don't want you to walk out of here tonight going, what have I done? I'll never speak again. <laughs> you know, I'll never talk to anybody or pray for anybody. Don't do that. Why? Because then the enemy gets what he wants still. What he doesn't want is you declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what we should be about. Why? Because declaring the gospel and making disciples, what do they do? They go to declare the gospel and they make disciples. And what do those disciples do? Go declare the gospel and make disciples. And we continue doing that to accomplish his purpose until he returns. And you do that, you're not going to look at anything the world has to offer anymore and go, that's peanuts compared to the wealth I have in Christ. There's no comparison.